bring new revelation. God revealing himself to creation, that is at the very core of who our God is. In Isaiah 65, 1, he says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here, I, here am I, here am I. We've been talking this the past couple of weeks, and I imagine in your house it's a little bit like ours. Grandmas and, 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 and grandpas and uncles and aunties are calling, going, okay, what does Gavin really need? What does Blake need? Because I'm doing my final shopping, right? And, and so the kids have formulated their list. Some have longer, more specific detailed lists, and the others are kind of like, well, whatever. Um, I don't know if you're a list maker, uh, I, I'm not so much a list maker. I'm at that stage of my life where I'm like, it's Christmas. Um, I like getting gifts, but there's nothing that I'm like, oh, I, I need something. I'm also from the school of thought that Christmas presents are not about getting stuff that you need, right? If you, if you need a new pair of shoes, let's go get a new pair of shoes. But I'm like, I don't want to get something that I need for Christmas. I just want something that I can celebrate and go, this is awesome. One year, my, my sister got me this is as an adult, my sister got me a remote control helicopter, and it was so it was such a cool gift um, and it wasn 't something i 'd asked for it never showed up on any list there 's something about getting a gift that you didn 't ask for. God says that he revealed himself to a people who never even asked for him they weren 't even looking and he says through the prophet Isaiah, "I came and I revealed myself." And I was found by those who did not seek me. God's heart evidenced here that he wants to reveal himself to us. And no place is that more seen than in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. Where God took on flesh as a baby. And Jesus was born into this world. The baby wrapped in swaddling cloths laid in a manger represents to us the incomprehensible infinite love and expression of who God is. That, that baby, it's amazing. It should blow our minds every time we, we think about it. Those two pictures, really, it's Jesus in, in the manger and Jesus on the cross. What he did for us and what he's done for us. So this morning, we're going to talk about peace. As with the last three weeks or two weeks, we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about a Christmas carol. I've really enjoyed, and I've got a lot of feedback from you guys about the whole Christmas Carol history thing. Um, we're learning some neat things. If you're ever on a trivia show, by the way, and you win a million dollars because of the trivia here, no, I'm just kidding. Um, this morning, we're going to take a look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're not going to listen to the whole song because it's kind of a long one, um, but I want to give you a background, and then we're just going to read through the lyrics together. Um, the, the hymn was written by a man named Charles Wesley, Charles Wesley in 1739. You might recognize the name. His brother, John Wesley, was the founder of the Methodist Church. Um, Charles was a writer, a hymn writer. Um, he wrote in his lifetime over 6,000 hymns. That's a lot of hymns. And, and some of them that we still sing today. When he first wrote uh, the hymn, what I'm discovering is that hymn writers were like poets. They wrote the lyrics, but they didn't write the music. It's not like today where you have like a Chris Tomlin who writes the words and the music. The hymn writers would write the, they would write the hymns because they really were like theologians. 
They were pastors, they were students, they were theologians, and they would write these words to these songs that had such depth. And then they would meet with a composer and say, this is the kind of music I'd like. And someone would write the music to go with the particular hymn. Um, Charles envisioned that this particular hymn, Hark the Herald, Herald Angels Sing, would actually be sung with the same melody, the same tune, to one of his other hymns, one called... Christ the Lord is risen today. And we sing that at Easter. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Now it doesn't sound like hark the head, right? It doesn't sound the same. And so we've, we've adapted the song over the years and, and given it a different melody. But, but his idea was that those two, hark the herald angels sing and then Christ uh, Christ the Lord is risen today, really were connected. They really were connected. And so, and he wanted something more solemn. When we sing, it's kind of a joyful song, but he wanted something a little slower and solemn. In 1855, a gentleman named John Whitehead adapted the song and, uh, and put it to a cantata that was actually written by Felix Mendelssohn. If you're into classical music, one of the, that name should ring a bell. And it is that form that we sing today. There's been some tweaking to the song over the years, 1961. There was little adjustments that were made. But, but it's really the Whitehead Mendelssohn uh, version of the song that we sing today. As we talk about peace, and as I read through the lyrics of the song, you know, I think sometimes we sing Christmas carols. Even last night, we're walking around the neighborhood, and you're trying to remember the words, and where does the thee come, and the thou, and how does... But sometimes we don't stop and actually think about what we're singing. And this is one of, this is theology. This song is just straight theology. And I want to read the, the words, read the lyrics. We'll have them up on the screen. But, but listen to the depth of what Charles Wesley wrote. So starting in verse 1, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations arise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Verse 2, Christ by heaven, highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald, herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Verse 3, hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And then the grand finale, come desire of nations come, fix us thy humble home, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. 
Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. That is absolutely a powerful, powerful Christmas carol. It's a powerful hymn. It's a powerful statement about who Jesus is. Not who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Hail the Prince of Peace, the one who came to reconcile man and God. And really it's that God reconciles himself to us because we did not have it in ourselves to reconcile ourselves to him. Remember, Isaiah said we weren't even looking for him, yet he came to us. He revealed himself to us. Verse 2 we are the, he is the offspring of the virgin's womb, and we see in him the Godhead, the deity coming in flesh, pleased as man with men to dwell, that it pleased God to send Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hail the incarnate deity, God in flesh, for us, Jesus our Emmanuel. In the fourth verse there, and this is really the, the, the weight of this message. Rise the woman conquering seed, bruising us the serpent's head. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit and sin entered the world, and immediately the relationship between man and God was severed. Because of that act of sin and disobedience, that enmity, that, that there was a war, there was a battle, there was division that came between God and man. And God who had walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden and enjoyed communion and one-on-one time with them could no longer, could no longer be with men. Not because there was a limitation on him, but because of sin, and the death and the destruction that came. And, it, and really, the loving thing for God was to say, I will withhold my presence because, because of the sin in your life, because of the sin that's now entered the world, my glory will kill you. It will put to death those sinful things. And so God withholds himself from men, but there is a division that is introduced that God never designed. It was never part of his plan. It's not what he wanted for man. And of course, there's larger issues of free will and, and the choices that why, why didn't God just make it so that Adam and Eve didn't sin, right? And there's bigger issues. That's a whole nother subject that we could cover. But here we see Adam's like now, now we face. What does that mean? Well, we have in us, we're born into sin just like Adam was or the, the sin that Adam introduced, we're born with that same sin, and so we have that likeness, the sin image. When God says that in Genesis that he created man in his image, in our likeness, let him make them male and female, that we bear in us our original design was the likeness of God, that we would look like God. Imago Dei, that the image of God is stamped on us because of sin, the stamp of Adam 
The stamp of sin, the likeness of sin is the thing that took the forefront and and the likeness of God was pushed to the side. Adam's likeness now with face. Get rid of that likeness of Adam. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. This is the message of peace. This is a message of peace. When I say that word peace, there's probably a lot of things that come to mind. In fact, it's something that's really on people's mind a lot right now in the world. This idea of peace. See, we live in a very broken world. We understand that even the events of the last few weeks right here in our own backyard, we recognize that we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there isn't a lot of peace. And you turn on the news listen to the radio, you're going to just hear report after report after report of a lack of peace. And that's just the things that we're hearing. That there's so much more happening in this broken, sinful world that is separated from the heart, the peaceful heart of God. But I want to tell you this morning, and when we think of peace, and, and you know, if, you, if I had to show you, you know, like a peace symbol, you all know what that looks like. Right, and we've we've come to adopt this idea of peace in the world that peace is just simply not fighting. Can we all just get along? Right, if we could just be friends, if we could just get along, everything would be okay. And and God, from a biblical standpoint, that that kind of peace is not possible. We don't have that to give, which is why all throughout the, the historical accounts in the Bible and other places throughout history, wars have raged. Wars have raged. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. I mean, the first four people on the planet. And two of them get in an argument and Cain kills his brother Abel. See, because the, the, the result of sin is division and enmity and battling and war. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. That he puts us against each other in those places where God says, I want there to be life and a thriving that takes place here. That doesn't happen. That there's a battle that is introduced. God says, that's not what I was after. That's not my heart for people. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7 says this. You know this verse. It'll be familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah the prophet, again, prophesying about the birth of Christ, the coming of the one, the mighty one who would introduce peace as we've never known peace, the prince of peace, everlasting father, mighty God, and our wonderful counselor. That Jesus is our prince of peace, and he ushered in his peace back into a broken and fractured world. And I want us to look a little bit at what that peace is and what that means because it has very real ramifications for us this morning. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We have peace with God, which means before Jesus, there was no peace. We did not have peace with God. It's a little bit of a sobering thing. Actually, it's a hugely sobering thing to think that God was our enemy. That God was your enemy. Because of your sin, God was your enemy. Now, his heart was for you, but because of our sin condition, there was limiting factors. And that the spirit that was in us, the sinful spirit, the spirit of this world that was in us, that was a part of our flesh, was at war with God. And there's nothing that we could do about it. As you know, I, I, I grew up in Africa. And it's always interesting. I get a lot of questions when people hear, you're from Africa? Uh, you can imagine what some of those questions would be. Um, uh, and one of them, though, usually after we get through, past this color of my skin and the fact I no longer have an accent, we usually get to talking about animals, because when people think Africa, they think animals. I, I have a picture I want to show you. This is from a few years ago. I um, got to take a team to Kenya. This is in the Maasai Mara. Micah and Blake were able to go on that trip with me. And um, it was amazing. This is during the migration. And what you see in front of you, it looked clearer on my computer screen. You have to maybe strain a little bit to see that. But that is, that is a herd of wildebeest. Okay, we'll do the word wildebeest is actually an Afrikaans word, and I pronounce it like an American now, which kind of every time I say it, it bothers me. The word is, the word is wildebeest. Wildebeest. You want to give it a try? Wildebeest. All right. There are no wildebeest, and those are not zebras, they're zebras. Okay, zebras. So wildebeest and zebras. Um, and there were thousands of them, literally thousands. This was looking out of the, 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 the top of the van that we were in. But if you could do a 360, we were completely surrounded. And there was a valley that went up and, and into the next hill. And they were wildebeest and zebras through the entire valley, as far as you could see, everywhere. When we talk about peace, one of the things you understand when you're in Africa out on the plains is that this looks tranquil. It looks beautiful, and we actually, there's video footage of us driving through the herd, and like you're almost bumping into them because they're just kind of just plodding along. It looks peaceful, but it's anything but. See, because there's lions and cheetahs and no tigers, no tigers, no tigers in Africa. Let's just set that straight right here. No tigers in Africa unless you're at a zoo. Lions and leopards and cheetah who are looking to devour these animals. You see, oh, how cute. Lion sees lunch or dinner, okay? Um, even even the, the mixing of the two herds, and usually where you find wildebeest, you're going to find zebras because zebras are smarter than wildebeest. They just are. And they realize that they can run faster 
than the wildebeest do. So the, the, the zebras are using the wildebeest, right, as cover. So because all we saw was carcasses of wildebeest, we didn't see any dead zebras. We didn't. Because, so it looks peaceful, but they're actually using each other. It's kind, of, it's kind of a nasty environment if you really think about it. Um, so this whole thing is playing out. Now, here's what doesn't happen in the plains of Africa. There has never been a Serengeti peace accord. Just that they, the animals have never come together. As much as uh, DreamWorks would like you to believe that, that these animals get along, they've never sat down at a table and said, could we just work out our differences? Right? Because the lion is designed to eat these animals. The leopard will actually take a gazelle, kill it, and then drag it up into a tree. The entire animal. Uh, they're phenomenally strong. Um, there is, it's built into their nature to eat each other, to devour each other. And it's just the way, there's a reason that the herds of zebras and wildebeest, wildebeest, I did it again, are bigger than, than the packs of the, the lions because they just don't stand a real fighting chance. There's never been a Serengeti peace accord. And we, when we think about peace, we have all of these meetings around the world and we have the United Nations, we have people who sit down at tables and say, could we just hammer out a peace deal? And then you hear about the peace accord that was written, that was broken like the next day, right? I think the current one for us, of course, Syria and, and Iraq and ISIS, but the one that's been going for a while now in, in Israel, Israel and the Palestinians, they'll sign a piece of paper and the next day, and sometimes even while the paper's being signed, rockets are flying back and forth. See, our very best intention, just like a lion is designed to devour zebras, that our sin nature doesn't allow us to live at peace with God or with each other. And there's nothing that we can do about it apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's just in our nature to do these things. So here's the thing. There's two points about peace. First one is this, that peace begins with Jesus. It has to begin with Jesus. And this word reconciliation, there is no reconciliation apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Never mind reconciling with each other and having peace with each other. We can't reconcile with God except through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Paul makes it clear when he says this. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And through him, we, have, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That Jesus himself is our peace. That he took us who were separated from God. And because of his work, his, his birth, 
his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, that he tore down the barrier and he made the two one. And he introduced for us the opportunity and the place for us to say yes to him. See, because our peace, remember in Romans 5, Paul says, it's only when we come to to a knowledge to the faith in in God, when we put our faith in him, that we have peace with God. Before we put our, our, our faith in God, there is no peace. You might have heard this little statement, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, N-O, no Jesus, no peace. I remember reading that when I was a kid, and, and it just has stuck in my mind. No Jesus, if you know Jesus, you can know peace. But if there is no Christ in your life, there will be no peace in your life. Because your nature, your sin nature will require you to live in, in enmity with that barrier between you and God. So peace begins, rather, with Jesus. If that's the case, it puts a bit of a wrinkle or complication into our lives. See, because I know there's been places in my life where there hasn't been peace. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm just at peace. Everything's peaceful. I'm talking about those places where there is a barrier, where there's a wall that exists between me and someone else. Something that has happened, something that's gone sideways, and there's that internal, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, It just, uh. and until that's put right, it's just there. You could probably, and I know I can, think back across my life in those places where there was Eh, that was never resolved, the eh is still there. Am I right? Yeah. It doesn't go away. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It just causes us to repress things that need therapy later on in life, right? And that's, that's not a bad thing. But we can't put Band-Aids on wounds and think it's going to be Okay. So it introduces a complication for us because Jesus becomes our peace. He himself is our peace and he's reconciled us to God, which then my second point would be this, then you were called to be a peacemaker. In light of Jesus coming and becoming your peace, he then says, now you do the same. Now this isn't just my idea, it's his idea. I know this because it says so in the Bible. Romans chapter 12, 17 through 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As long, as much as it, as far as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone Paul makes an allowance here, and he says, listen, it takes two to tango. It doesn't say that in the Greek, but that's what he's saying. But, but make sure that you're doing your part. Because what do we default to? Well, but, right, see with your kids when there's no peace in the home, and the kids are having an argument, and you go, okay, what happened? And then just start yelling at each other. And you're like, whoa, stop. Let me hear what happened. 
well, he, 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 and she, 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 and they're pointing of fingers that's happening, and tears are flowing, and there's no peace in the home, and everything's like, ah, right? Usually that's like Sunday morning, right? In the car, on the way to church. And everything just gets kind of twisted inside because you realize we're not at peace. But our inclination is to look at the other person and go, what, but they, if you just knew what they did, Adam and Eve, but the serpent, but Eve, and we blame. And God says, no, no, as long as it depends on you, as, as much as it depends on you, you make sure that you live at peace. And so it stops being pointing fingers and it becomes a, wait, let me examine my life and make sure that I am a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will inherit the kingdom of God. Peace is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24. You have heard it that it was said to people long ago. Do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This verse just messes with us. Because you notice as it says, if he has something against you, not if you have something against him, if he has something against you, you go and you make peace. You go be reconciled. Why is it such a big deal at the altar? How could we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I lift my hands in worship to you. God, you are good. Hark the herald angels sing glory to, right? Prince of peace. Oh, God, you're so good. Yet there's an issue dividing you and a brother, you and a sister, you and your spouse, you and your neighbor. And God says, don't come worship me with those dirty lips and those dirty hands. He says, I brought peace. I introduced peace. I am your peace. Now do likewise. And we give ourselves all kind of permission. We give ourselves all kind of permission. And isn't it at Christmas, right? And the family's coming over. And you're like, oh, but that person, that person will be here. It's when you feel that, eh? God says, what are you doing? What are you doing to make sure that you're reconciled? God said, I gave my son. I gave my son. I've done everything I can. Have you really? We're going to go back to worship. We're going to a time of worship as we close. I want to encourage you. I, I'm imagining that even as I've been speaking, as the worship team comes forward, God's probably doing a little tweaking in your heart right now. On two fronts, the first is this. Be the recipient of the peace that God has for you. Receive the peace that he offers. 
But then secondly, be at peace with others. Be a peacemaker. If there are people in your life that you need to reconcile with, we can pray about it. We can think about it. But talk is cheap. God is a God of action, and he is calling us to be a people of action. He's calling us to step out of our comfort zones. God left heaven. It's comfortable in heaven. Jesus left heaven, and he came to earth and was born in a stable and laid in a manger. Why? Because peace is a priority to him. If there are people in your life, maybe even people in this room, that there is a barrier, that there is if there is something that's gone sideways that needs to be reconciled, do it. This Christmas, make this Christmas a Christmas of peace and say, Lord, as you've reconciled me to you and you to me, I want to be a person of reconciliation in my life. As we worship, as we sing these next songs, would you be praying? Would you be considering if you have to write it down, write it down. Our prayer team is going to be available. We're going to be in the back. There'll be a couple of people up front here. If you need to pray with someone for boldness, to be able to say, you know, I'm going to go and reconcile with someone, then come and pray with someone and have them agree with you and say, I'm going to, I'm going to pray that God gives, him, gives you his spirit of peace to be able to, to walk in that way. When we stand together this morning, God has made peace with you and we're called to do the same. Father God, this morning, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be people of peace. And God, this morning, we're so thankful for the peace that you've offered us, that you've given to us through your son. Lord, I pray that we would bring that message of reconciliation that we've been entrusted with, that we would carry it to the people in our lives as much as it depends on us cause us to be, cause us to live in peace with those around us. In Jesus' name, let's worship together this morning.